is always fair. I really enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I just love when the kids talk back to me. I don't care if you get a job this summer. I don't care if you get detention. I, I can't open this jar. See if mom can open it. Just take your time in there, okay? No means maybe. Hey, why don't you bring that ball inside and play with it? Hey, don't put that back where you found it. Just leave it on the floor. Ew, bacon. If you put a dent in the car, it's really no big deal. It's 10 a.m. Go back to bed. Look, whatever your friends are doing, just do the exact same thing. I got more than enough sleep last night. If your friends are okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Stop signs are just a suggestion. You don't need a chaperone. You don't need a seatbelt. You don't need a savings account. You should buy the jeans with the holes in them. Hey, we're all going to go to church, but you can just sleep in, okay? Can we please just hang out in here for another 10 minutes? Hey, can we get some more bickering back there? All right, bills. Yay, traffic. Woohoo, taxes. Yes, laundry. Hey, can you kids come in here and jump on my bed? Quick, go tell mom what happened right away. You don't need to finish your dinner. Hey, look at your phone when I'm talking to you. I wish I had a smaller TV. We got you that phone for a reason. Texting boys. All right, everyone, listen up. Mom and I are going out of town this weekend, so please, mess up the whole house while we're gone. Please throw a few parties while we're gone. Please forget about the dog entirely while we're gone. Hey, when you're finished pouring that, can you just leave it out on the counter all day? Thanks. Hey, what are you doing? All right, happy Father's Day to everybody. Aren't we glad for our fathers? If it weren't for our fathers, where would it be? All right, well, I'm going to say a blessing on the fathers today and also a service, if you'd please pray with us. Father, we thank you that we have earthly fathers who are the reflection, but we know that you're the perfection. But I know Father's Day is sad for some that their father has gone on to be with you, but I just pray even today that they would feel the love of their Heavenly Father and Father, we honor all dads in this place. And for those who have no children, we honor the spiritual dads. We thank you that they have an amazing place in the body of Christ as well. We love you and we thank you and pray your blessing on your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to welcome you to Arden First. We're going through Luke's Gospel. And today we're going to talk about going from death to life. A little recap of last Sunday. We talked about how Jesus healed the centurion servant and how that changed so much that day. We find Jesus the very next day, and he's in a place that's only mentioned in Luke. And we know Luke was the, the doctor, and he wrote a very orderly account to Theophilus. So the fact that Luke includes it was very um, strategic and purposeful on his account. So as you turn to Luke chapter 7, I want you guys to kind of think about the last time that death really shook you. Can you remember how young you were when you, you had a funeral that you went to that really just kind of shook you up? Um, I, I was in high school and just graduating, and one of my best friends, his name was Tracy. There's a picture of him. We, were, we went to a small Christian school together. There were only like 50 kids in the whole school, so everyone was really close. And we would go on trips together, and uh, I remember going over his house, and his mom, Betty, used to make peach ice cream. Have I ever had homemade peach ice cream? Oh, the best thing during the summertime. Loved it. His dad, Jim, would crack jokes. And we just had such a good time. Tracy and I, like a lot of high school students, would play video games and, you know, just talk about life. And I got the phone call one day and heard that Tracy had got killed in an automobile accident. 
he was driving a Camaro that had a T-top, and they were driving around the curvy back roads in Leicester, and when he went around one curve too fast, he flew out of the, the sunroof, and he perished as a young man. So that, that really was heartbreaking. I think the saddest thing for all of us was seeing the look on his mother's face. His mother, Betty, was uh, very special, still is very special to me. Um, the sad thing is she had Tracy, I believe, in her early 40s, and this was her only child. So you can imagine, you know, kind of you get married later in life, and you have one child, and now the child is gone. Just the, the terror and the hurt. And even to this day, every time it's Tracy's um, birthday, she'll post something on Facebook remembering Tracy. And um, so I, I just... Uh, Remember her and the pain there. Today, I want you guys to kind of lean into the text because I want to encounter something very similar. It's going to be a woman that basically has all of life stacked against her and how Jesus enters into her horrible situation and brings about something good. And today's big question we're going to ask is, are you truly alive on the inside? And I really believe that this scripture is so important. I really want you guys to, to zone into it because all of us are going to face death. Last time I checked, the ratio was 100% of death ratio. We we're all going to die. But what does it look like even while you're living when a dream dies? What does it look like when you face discouragement in life? It's amazing how Jesus can enter into the worst situations and bring about something beautiful. Amen. So let's look at uh, Luke chapter number 7. And we're going to start in verse 11. Now, it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. The only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a large crowd from that city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he, was, he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. May God bless his word. So today we're going to talk about life and death and how Jesus brings life out of death. And I want to give you four principles. There's listening guides in your bulletins if you'd like to follow along. The first principle is this. The heart of Jesus is to replace ashes for beauty. The heart of Jesus is replaced ashes for beauty. Look at verse 11. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. So the day before, we talked about last Sunday, Jesus healed the centurion's servant in Capernaum. Now the distance between Capernaum and Nain is about 25 miles. So why did Jesus walk 25 miles in one day? I mean, that's... I don't know if I've ever walked 25 miles in a day. That's a lot of walking. I mean, that's why. And why would Jesus go to some rural, remote, backwoods place? You think it was for this one person? Aren't you glad that Jesus reaches us right where we're at? And the thing about Nain, the name means beautiful, pleasant, lovely. 
Was this place, Nain, was it anything pleasant for this lady? She had experienced nothing but brokenness, we find in the text. Nain had become pain for her. If you look at the scripture, she was in a very dark place. You know, we don't know the full story about her husband. We can only imagine she married this man. They fell in love. They, they, they lived a life together, excited. They planned out their, their life. We don't know what that was like. You know, the white picket fence and the house and the kids. And all of a sudden, the man that she loved so much all of a sudden died. And some of you have experienced that. A spouse dies. So all of a sudden, this Pleasantville becomes Painville. This place that was supposed to be so, so full of beauty and wonder, a new marriage now ends in death. But she has one hope left, and that's her son. Because her husband died, they didn't have any more kids, only had one child. And she's probably still young because her husband, it says young man. So her, her son is probably in his teens or 20, so she's probably still young. See, here you have this relatively young widow who now not only does she plan out the funeral for her husband, but now her only son dies. So have you ever been in the place where instead of pleasantness, you experience brokenness? Instead of enjoying goodness, bad things coming your way? Instead of lovely, life has been ugly? Instead of tasting what's sweet, you're choking on what's bitter? Instead of delightful, your life has become dreadful. Have you ever been there before? So many people, even in this congregation, struggle with the, the dark alleys of depression and anxiety. And our world is full of depression and anxiety. So what do you do when Nain, which means pleasant, is anything but pleasant? Everything seems to be going well and then disaster hits. So one thing I love about Jesus is Jesus went to Nain with a purpose. He wanted Nain to regain its original name. He reached into the place of brokenness. And we'll see in the text, he brought beauty out of ashes. It reminds me of Isaiah 61. And Jesus quoted this for his scripture, for his debut of his ministry. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. And we see that in Jesus' ministry, he helped out the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So we see Jesus coming into the midst of this lady and her brokenness, and he's letting her exchange her ashes for something beautiful. A second thing we see, Jesus bringing life out of death, number two, the heart of Jesus is to restore broken hearts and shattered dreams. Broken hearts and shattered dreams. Look at verse 12. When he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was coming with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Now, I've done several funerals, uh, even recently, and how would you feel if your pastor told the people at the funeral, stop crying? Hey, stop it. Stop that crying. Would you consider me a compassionate person or not with it, right? So how does Jesus come on the scene at a funeral and tell, tell them to stop crying? It's kind of a tough, tough question. Well, Jesus can say that because he's God, 
And he was going to take away what they were crying about. And it reminds me, fast forward to the book of Revelation, where it says, when we enter into those pearly gates, it says, he shall wipe away what? Every tear from our eyes. So next time you're at a funeral, encourage crying and weeping. It, only Jesus can say, don't cry. So Joseph uh, Bailey, he was an author, and he wrote a lot about death because he had experienced death. He experienced the death of his three sons. His first son died when he was just a child. He was just a, a few 18 days old. And after a complicated surgery, he lost his first son. His second son died at five years old with leukemia. So you can imagine both he and his wife, Mary Lou, were just devastated. You know, two sons dead. And his final son, his third son, died when he was 18 in an accident, a sledding accident. And here's what Joseph Bailey wrote. I want to read to you about the deaths. Of all the deaths, that of a child is the most unnatural and hardest to bear. In one philosopher's words, it's the period placed before the end of the sentence. Sometimes when the sentence has just begun. We expect the old to die, but the separation is still always difficult. It comes, but it comes at no surprise. But what a child, the youth. Life lies ahead with all its beauty and wonder, its potential. Death is a cruel thief when it strikes down the young. The suffering that usually precedes death is another reason childhood death is so hard for parents to, to bear. Children were made for fun and laughter, for sunshine, not for pain, in a way that's different from any other relationship. A child is born of his parents' bones and flesh. When a child dies, part of the parent is buried with him. He says, I met a man who was in his 70s. During our first 10 minutes together, he brought the, out a faded old photograph of a child that had died out of his wallet. The t- child has di- his child d- had died 50 years before, and he still carried around the photo of his child that had died. So you, you see this text, and you just... You feel so bad for the poor lady. You know, in this day and time, they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have retirement like we have. So a person that was a widow, you know, the hope is their children at least would take care of them. But the fact that not only is her husband dead, but now her son's dead, she has no hope of a future in this culture. But notice in the text, when Jesus saw her, notice she was in a crowd of people. Have you ever been in a crowd of people and you felt all alone? You were surrounded by people, but yet there was no connection. I could just imagine that woman feeling it. There's no mention of any other family. But this small village in this culture, whenever someone died, a small town would shut down everything. And they would mourn for that person that had gone before. So as they were going outside the city gates, we see Jesus coming. And notice in the text, Jesus was moved with what? Compassion for her. I've heard it said that compassion is not just feeling sorry for someone. Compassion is feeling their pain and placing it on your heart. Feeling their pain and placing it on your heart. So when Jesus saw this widow, he felt her pain. And even today, as we sit here on Father's Day, 2018, anytime you experience pain, God enters into your pain. He enters into your suffering. He's a compassionate God, the compassionate Christ. And I'm really moved by Jesus' compassion because we saw before Jesus was in Capernaum and he was willing to travel 25 miles out of his way. But it wasn't out of his way because he was going for her, for that one woman 
whose experience had been nothing but heartbreak. Chuck Swindoll tells a story of a little child whose playmate had died. And they were, the whole family was just devastated. And the little girl came home one day and said, Mom, I just went to the girl's mother's house. And she said, you did what? Why would you go to her house? They're grieving. They're upset. What did you do? What did you say? And she said, I didn't say anything. I just sat in her lap and cried with her. And that's the, that's the picture of compassion. Filling with someone. So if you've ever wondered a question, does God fill my pain? The answer is yes. You can put your name in this place. Because one thing I've noticed about this text that really kind of stood out. Does anybody know the woman's name in this scripture? She has no name, right? Why do you think Dr. Luke, would, so detailed doctor, would leave out someone's name? Maybe, perhaps, it could be so you could put your name in the text by application. You have experienced pain. And you know, you've experienced the dream, this Pleasantville place, and it's become a, a place of sadness. So here's the good news. No matter what you go through, on the other side, Jesus has something beautiful waiting for you. I was talking to the 930 service, and I said, a seminary professor gave this illustration that stuck with me. If you think about eternity, imagine the East Coast and the West Coast, and imagine a seagull taking a grain of sand and flying from the west coast all the way to the east coast and dropping off a grain of sand, flying back. And because the seagull is so tired, he rests a thousand years. Then he takes another grain and repeats the process. By the time the seagull transports all the sand from the west coast to the east coast, it's just going to be the sunrise in eternity. So no matter what pain you experience here on earth, God has all eternity to show you his love. And it's going to be okay. Amen. It says in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. So I think there's someone here today that you need to experience life after the death of a dream. You, you've mourned, you've grieved, and you've sorrowed, and rightly so. But maybe Jesus is telling you, I've got something else for you. There is life beyond death, even in this lifetime. So I read a story about a grandfather, and he was at his deathbed. And his granddaughter was coming to visit him, and they had such a close relationship. They would spend great conversations together and play. But the grandfather was getting ready to go to be with Jesus. And he could see the tears in his granddaughter's eyes. And she was weeping, Granddaddy, don't leave us, don't leave us. And he told his granddaughter something that I hope will stick with you. He said, weep for me now, honey, it's okay. But stop crying after next Tuesday. Don't weep after next Tuesday. What was the grandfather saying? There is a season of weeping. But you know what? Jesus brings joy. There is a Tuesday that's coming. And allow the weeping, allow the stages of the grief to happen. But one day you'll hear Jesus say the same words to you. Don't weep. I've got something else for you. Don't weep. Number three, the heart of Jesus is to resurrect death back to life. So what do you do when you're in a season of weeping? And as I said, there's stages of grief and we need to go through all the stages. But what do you do? Look at verse 14. Jesus came and touched the open coffin. And those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. Now, for those of you who um, have studied a little bit of Old Testament history, what is the problem with touching an open coffin? It's supposed to make you ceremonial and clean. 
So Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches the open coffin. And I, I love what uh, one, one scholar said. He said, Jesus can never be defiled. So instead of Jesus being unclean, he brings cleanness and wholeness back to that which is sick. Jesus reaches in and he does something amazing. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. Young man, I say to you, arise. Warren Wearsby brought some really good applications. I want to give a few of them to you about this. At this moment, you have two crowds that meet. Wearsby said you have Jesus' crowd. They're excited. Um, the centurion servant has been healed. There's a big crowd rejoicing. So they're coming into the city rejoicing. And then you have another crowd going to the cemetery out of the city mourning. And he said spiritually that's like two groups of people. Those who are with Jesus rejoicing, entering into the glorious heavenly city. Those who don't have Jesus, spiritually speaking, you're entering into the cemetery with nothing to look forward to. He said there's two crowds. He said there's two sons that meet, two only sons. One was alive but destined to die, and the other was dead but destined to live. Two only sons. You have two sufferers that meet. You have the widow of Nain. Pleasantville had become Brokenville. She's mourning and weeping and suffering. And then you have Jesus, who was the man of sorrows, who was the silent sufferer. And he understood her sorrows because he could weep with her. He was the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as Isaiah tells us. And my favorite point Wearsby brings up, you have two enemies that meet. Jesus faced death, which is the last enemy. And Jesus was giving us a preview. In this case, he was getting ready to defeat death. And he was getting ready in the future, the near future, to die for the sins of the world so he could forever give death a death blow. Amen. So Jesus touched the coffin. And then Jesus talks to the dead corpse. Have you ever been to a funeral where someone talks to the dead person up front? You've seen that. Have you ever seen someone talk to like mama get up and all of a sudden the dead person stands up? I mean, has that ever happened? I'd be heading for the door, right? Like what's going on here? But Jesus basically overthrows the funeral. He comes in and he turns the funeral into a festival. He turns mourning and sorrow into joy. So he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And as I was thinking about this text, I was reminded, and God spoke to me about my own life, sometimes I need to stop speaking about my problem and I need to speak to my problem. You know, so many times we say, oh, my life is this and I struggle with this. Well, have you ever spoke to your problem in the name of Jesus and said, get up, arise, don't sit there anymore, don't wallow in your misery anymore, get up, arise? There comes a point in time, instead of speaking about your mountain, you have to speak to your mountain and say, mountain, be moved. Get up, arise. Look what happens next. The young man sits up and he does what? He starts talking. I find it fascinating. The woman, there's no name given. She doesn't say a word. But then the boy, he's there and he starts talking. What do you think a person that has just died and come back to life, what do you think they would say? Thank you. What, what kind of stories? You know, I went to the gates and I could see I didn't get to cross through the gate, but I could see the faces and the family. And I saw dad on the others. I mean, I don't know what he would say, but he started talking. We don't have their words. It's not recorded. 
But Jesus tells us in John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So I think if you could look at your dreams that have died, and if the dead dream would sit up and talk to you, I think your dead dream would say something like this, don't give up. God's got something greater for you. Don't stop believing. Jesus can give life, even to a lifeless situation. Keep believing that God has a plan. And what about if the person in your life has died? Well, the good news is if they're a believer, guess what? You're going to live with them forever and eternity. You're just temporarily separated. Temporarily separated. But also this reminds us that there were two only sons who died and rose again in the Old Testament. So you might remember the two prophets that raised the only sons, Elisha and Elijah, and those are on your notes. And what's interesting, I read the reference in 1 Kings 17, Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to who? His mother. The same thing with Elisha, the dead child. He told his mother, go get your son. What did Jesus do to the son after he resurrected? He gave him to his mother. So when the people saw this, that's why they say a prophet has risen because they knew the story of Elijah and Elisha. So you have three only sons who died and came back to life. Do you think maybe Jesus was trying to tell us something? He is the only son who is getting ready to die and come back to life so that he could forever defeat death. Because when the Bible mentions three, it's like completeness. It's like the perfect example. To add another layer to this. How many people did Jesus raise specifically in his lifetime? Does anybody know? Three people. So in the Old Testament, in this story, you have three only sons that raised from the dead. And in Jesus' earthly ministry, you have three people that he rose from the dead. You got this widow's son of name. You have Jairus' daughter. And who was the third one? Lazarus. One interesting thing about each person Jesus rose from the dead, he spoke to the dead person. Young man, I say to you, Arise. Get up. Lazarus, come forth. And Jairus' daughter, he spoke in Aramaic, and he's, I can't pronounce the Aramaic, but he said, my little girl, arise, and she arose. And when Jesus comes back again, it says he will come back with what? A shout. And it says all these bodies are going to rise up in one. So you see a pattern here. Jesus speaks, and dead things come back to life. So some of you may be sitting in your pew today and saying, okay, to be absent from the body is present to the Lord. So why would Jesus raise my body if I'm already already in heaven? That's a good question. And it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to understand. But whenever you die in Christ, you do go straight to heaven. Your, 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 your soul, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. So why would Jesus raise ashes? Well, the best answer I've heard is whatever Satan has done through sin, Jesus wants to undo. So he's going to raise the very ashes of your body to show, as an evidence that I have redeemed you, not just your soul and your spirit, but your body. And you will have a glorified body that will live with the Lord forever. Amen. So, number four. The heart of Jesus is to renew a sense of wonder and awe in our world. Look at verse 16. So we have this, this dead guy. This corpse sits up. He starts talking. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, 
and God has visited his people. And notice their response. This report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding people. Have we lost our sense of awe and wonder in the world today? You know, as a pastor, I hear all these reports about so many churches declining. You know, the parking lot sitting half empty. And the answer is why? I I really think if Jesus does something amazing that gets people's attention, people flock to where God's moving. And I believe that the reason why some churches are just exploding in growth, one of the reasons is God is moving. People are getting saved and baptized and the the word is spreading and people are like, I got to see. People want to see where God's moving. So as a local church, if we will just be open to what God wants to do, people will flock to these doors. People will come and they will see. But it's a reminder of last week. We don't want to be just a come and see church. We want to be a go and tell church. We want to leave this place and we want to tell what God's doing in our lives personally, where we live, where we work and where we play. And people can see you, which is a church walking around, by the way. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And they can be filled with awe and wonder. So notice they glorified God. They praised God for sending Jesus. They recognized God's tangible presence among them. They say, they said a prophet has risen. So what about you? Have you ever encountered Jesus in this way? You may not have seen someone come back to life from the dead. From, the, from a dead place. But I think this is a metaphor spiritually. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in his mercy, he gave us life when there was no life. Something I want you to get from this text. Did this woman invite Jesus to come? We have no invitation here from Jesus. He came. No one invited him. He came. Is there any sense that anyone had any faith? There is no sign. Jesus doesn't say because of your faith. So Jesus wasn't invited and there's no faith here. So why did Jesus do it? It was because of his mercy and his grace. And that's why I said last week, anytime you have a miracle, almost always it's precedented by faith, but not always. And this is one of the examples because sometimes Jesus does stuff just because he loves you and because he wants to. And by the way, if you have faith, guess where that came from? It's a gift from God. So all of us have had this experience where we were dead. And if we've given our life to Christ, he reached into death and he brought out life. He reached into brokenness and left beauty. He took a heap of ashes and he remade them into something beautiful. This is the God we serve. Amen. As Jesus enters into your world, to my world, he never leaves it the same. He always fills your space with awe and wonder. All of a sudden, the air of heaven begins to fill your atmosphere. The air of heaven flows through your atmosphere and changes everything. So some of you who have experienced the death of a loved one, the death of a dream, heartbrokenness, all this stuff. Jesus tells us in this world, you will have problems. You will have trouble. But then he says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So for the person struggling with depression, I want you to know that Jesus reaches in to where you're at. And he says, I know what you're going through. I also experience sorrows and grief. And I, I feel the pain with you. 
Believe in me. Keep going forward. For the person that you've had death in your family and death keeps knocking at your door. It seems like the door of the hearse keeps opening up. Remember Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though they die, they shall live. And for the dreamers out there that you've dreamed big, but you've come up small, know that in just a moment, Jesus can change everything with his spoken word. When Jesus speaks, everything changes. So just to review it, the fourth truth we talked about from death to life, the heart of Jesus is to replace ashes for beauty. He can restore broken hearts and shattered dreams. Jesus can resurrect death back to life. And he can renew a sense of awe and wonder in your life. To summarize this in one sentence, when Jesus enters your scene, death is transformed into life. So I want to encourage you, if you're walking with the way, the truth, and the life, even when you experience death, Jesus breathes new life. Let us pray. Dear Father, we saw this widow of Nain. She was so broken. She was so hurt. Brokenville. But Jesus, you entered into Brokenville and gave it a new name, Pleasantville. You restored Nain back to its name. And I'm just wondering why we're all praying. Is there anyone that could relate to the scripture today with no one looking around? Saying, Timothy, I've experienced depression and death and brokenness. And I wanted life to be beautiful, but it's been a lot of pain. And I really need Jesus to enter into my pain. If that's you, raise your hand. Father, you see the hands. Many in our church have experienced death, depression, brokenness. We wanted this life to turn out so well, but it didn't have a storybook ending. But Father, we thank you that this is not the final chapter This is just the title page. We thank you that eternity is full of infinite pages. And once we get to heaven, the pages just get better and better and better. But Father, here on earth, we know we have troubles and problems. And we're not promised prosperity and blessings in the way of the world every day. But we're promised your peace. We're promised your love and your joy. So Father, I pray for all those who have broken hearts shattered dreams that you would enter into their brokenness and you would just give a gift of grace even when they don't ask for it even when they didn't invite it even when they don't have faith that you would just step in and do what only you can do as the believers continue to pray with everyone praying if there be someone that's never surrendered your life to Christ you are that person in the open coffin you're spiritually dead But today, Jesus has knocked on your heart and said, arise, get up. And if you're willing to receive Jesus, repent of your sins, Jesus will give you new life, eternal life, the best kind of life. If that's you, just say this prayer in your own words to Jesus. Jesus, I believe in you, that you lived the perfect life, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again the third day. And Jesus, I'm like that dead guy in the story, spiritually. I want new life. So I pray that you would just speak the word. I pray that you would come into my life, come into my heart. I need you to change me. And Jesus, forgive me of all my sins.
Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, thank you that the widow of Nain doesn't have a name. We thank you that's left for us to put our names there. So the same compassionate Christ suffers with us, fills with us, and helps us through this life so that we can have life in it more abundantly. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. This time, if you would stand, we're going to have our closing song. If there's a place in your life where you experience brokenness, could be the death of a dream, a family member that's died. Judy's going to be at the front. Adam's going to be in the back. I'll be at the front. We'll have different prayer, prayer warriors here to pray for you. If you just want to come and kneel and pray for someone in your family, if you made a decision to follow Christ, if you want to join the church, we'll be at the front. So respond as the Spirit leads.